For years at First Christian Church, we have done a yearly baby dedication, a little ceremony during worship, at which time we dedicate a whole bunch of babies. But beginning with precious little Emma Claire Smith, who's coming up here, just going ahead and coming up to the front center here and put Emma Claire up there so we can see some good pictures of her there and uh, beginning with Emma Smith here, we are uh, implementing a, a dedicate-them-as-they-come kind of policy. <laughs> In other words, instead of just once a year, uh, we want you to join on a regular basis with dedicating uh, young ones like Emma Claire to the Lord in worship. So the flower up front today marks this occasion, and uh, Kim Clark, our children's minister, is going to hand them a, a children's Bible uh, that we'll be giving to them and presenting to them. So we introduce to you today, and this is information that's found in your bulletin here in the insert, little Emma Claire Smith was born June 28, 2010, weighed 7 pounds, 10 ounces, was 20 inches long, and is now heavier and longer, (laughs) and looking all over the place, huh? The beautiful daughter here of parents, David and Noel Smith. Emma's older sister is named Reagan, and the Smiths are surrounded by a throng of relatives, some of which are here today with us, grandparents Ken and Linda Smith, Oscar and Patricia Smith, uncles First Sergeant Zachary Smith and Dr. Joaquin Joyre, Goyre, something like that, okay, G-O-I-R-E-T, aunts, Captain Ashley Smith, Captain Ashley Smith and Samantha Smith and cousins Savannah Smith and Zachary Smith Jr. Following the example of devout parents of the Bible David and Noel this morning have expressed their desire to present their children to the Lord. This dedication obviously does not require the kind of supreme sacrifice like Abraham was called upon to offer his son at the altar. Thankfully, we don't require such things, and the Lord doesn't of us either. But we do want to take seriously our dedication of our children to the Lord. Jesus demonstrated an acceptance and love for little children, as we read about in Mark 10, where it says, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let The children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And Jesus took the children in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So today we want to declare our love and acceptance for little children like Emma Claire by receiving and dedicating her to the Lord. Emma is a beautiful name that means entire or universal. Claire means clear or bright. It's our prayer today that she would use her bright mind to clearly declare the full truth of God and his creation. So we want to charge you as parents, David and Noel, to raise your children in a Christian home where the word of God is taught and followed, where Emma's clarity of thought would find its source in your relationship with God. So, David and Noel, you are bringing your children into God's presence to be dedicated to him. 
By this statement of faith, do you commit that together you will raise her in a way that pleases God by instructing her to Christ's love and her need for salvation, by modeling godliness in your home and your marriage, by protecting her from evil influence, by teaching her to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, and by regularly fellowshipping with other believers in a Christ-centered church family? If so, please respond by saying, we do. Likewise, we want to charge you as a congregation to take seriously and thoughtfully our role to provide an environment of spiritual nurture where the word of God is taught and followed to support this family in their decision to raise their children in a Christian home. So First Christian Church, today these parents are bringing their children into God's presence to be dedicated to him. Do you, as a church family, commit to surround them with the love and the grace and the truth of the body of Christ Jesus? Will you stand with them in prayer, speak the truth of love into their lives, serve them in humility, and encourage them in the word of God? Do you receive this child as a blessing from the Lord to be instructed, protected, and blessed in this fellowship of believers? If so, please respond by saying, we do. Let's pray together. Lord God, we love the gift of new life and the innocence of children who so freely and faithfully dedicate themselves to you and your kingdom, receiving your truth in a way that is a model for us. And so today, Father, we join with this family to dedicate these beautiful children to you. We know that they are gifts from you, and so we receive them in that kind of uh, thought and in that manner, that we would raise them and nurture them and give them back to you, as gifts and offerings to you. So we take seriously your call upon us to be a nurturing and caring environment whereby we will uphold the Smiths in prayer and do what we can as the body of Christ to support them in this important work. We ask for this in the name of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'm going to take a quick picture here. Another one or two? All right. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks. In just a moment here, we're going to go ahead and read our scripture for the sermon. It's going to be from Hebrews 10, and it's 19 through 25. We're going to focus on that section of scripture as Dale comes up to read in just a second. But let's go ahead and dismiss our Kids for Christ children's worship for kindergarten through fifth grades. I'll be reading um, from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 
19 through 25 from the NIV. A call to persevere. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If you haven't yet, go ahead and please pass down the uh, sermon notes there down the aisle. They should be on either side of the, uh, the pews there at the ends. Go ahead and pass those down so we can get to our memory verse. Those of you who have been with us during Hebrews know that we've been doing a little bit of a memory verse here uh, for these many weeks in Hebrews. We've got just a few more weeks to go till we finish up. So uh, those of you who are trying to memorize Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 should be getting relatively close Let's go ahead and, uh, and look at that portion that we'll be doing today. It is the first line in chapter, uh, chapter, wow, that's good, Scott. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 16 here. It's just this phrase, let us then with confidence draw near. So let's go ahead and three different times read slash from memory recite uh, all of what we've learned in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 here, starting at the beginning Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near. Well done. Let's just stop at draw near, sorry. Let's do it one more time up through what we've memorized for today. Verse 14, here we go. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near. Good job. We've got a lot to cover today, so let's go ahead and dive in after asking for God to still our hearts and to refocus us through His Spirit on His Word. Lord God, we gather as the body of Christ today, called by Your name, to glorify you. It is our task today to be changed so that we would leave this place unleashed to demonstrate confidence to a world that needs to know you. 
We ask that your spirit would be with us, that you would focus us, that you would recenter our lives, that our thoughts would be on you. That we would leave this place aware of who we are and what we have in you. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So for those of you who have been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we've been focusing on sort of the old systems, the old systems that held back these Hebrew Christians in this book. Last week we talked about dead works. Dead works is a phrase that comes from 9.14 in Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 14. We talked about dead works as self-righteous systems of man-made rules, which demonstrate that we don't truly trust the gospel as much as we easily claim. Dead works, if you're taking notes, this is a good one-sentence synopsis of last week. Dead works are self-righteous systems of man-made rules that demonstrate that we don't truly trust the gospel as much as we so easily claim. This week... In Hebrews 10, from 19 to 39, we have what we call a therefore passage. We have a therefore passage. Look at verse 19 here in chapter 9. It starts with that word, therefore. It means, because of all these things that I've been saying up to this point, therefore this, do this. It's an if-then kind of passage. If all these things that I've been telling you for ten chapters are true, then this. Then live like it. This is a little literary context here. This section that we're focusing on today, it functions as a close to that long middle section of Hebrews. It's the close to that long middle section of Hebrews that transitions us to the last few chapters in Hebrews. Beautiful, long, soaring passages of, the, of God's faithfulness in His people for many years. So, just turn real quick to the back of your outline there, and you'll see at the top of that that we've covered two of the three P's of Hebrews. We've talked about the superior person of Christ, the superior priesthood of Melchizedek, and now we're transitioning toward that superior principle of faith toward the end of Hebrews. So here in Hebrews 10, 19-39 today, the preacher in Hebrews sums up all of these theological truths that have been his focus all the way back to 4, 14-16. In summary, he's saying... Because the person and the priesthood of Christ are superior, because Christ made full and final atonement for sin once and for all, then live in faith. Live with wholehearted devotion, with passion, with abandon, with your whole heart, even in the midst of the difficulties and the trials that we experience, that these Hebrew Christians were starting to experience, because they were seeing some of that persecution in their lives. If you know the memory verse, then you'll notice that 4, 14 to 16 in our passage today have many similarities in the verbiage. It's a sign of the beginning and the end of this long middle section in Hebrews. And so 4, 14 to 16 and 10, 19 to 23 especially are sort of the bookends of this middle section of theological truth in Hebrews. So today we run across in this passage here three 
main admonitions that we're going to focus on. Everything in verses 19 all the way through 39 surrounds these three main claims. Uh, If you're a a highlighter and a a circler in your Bible like I am, you should circle the lettuce in this passage. This is the lettuce in this passage. It's, It's the beginning of 22, 23, and 24. There are three let us statements there that are the main admonitions. Look at the beginning there, verse 23. It says, let us draw near. At 24 it says, let us consider how to stir up. And then verse 24. I'm sorry, I I, I skipped hold fast there. Let us hold fast and let us stir up. So those are the, the three main parts of our focus today. To draw near, to hold fast, and to stir up. I've written on your your outline there a little summary of this passage that I stole from my study Bible here. It's on on your notes there. It says this. It's an outline, a summary of, of our passage today. It says, Since the priestly work of Christ has established the privilege of access to God, the author exhorts, he encourages his readers to approach God faithfully, to firmly maintain their confession, and to find ways to encourage others. You see those three parts there. Draw near, hold fast, and stir up. So let's look at these for a few minutes. First, in verse 22 here. Look at that little phrase there, draw near. That phrase, draw near, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure waters. First, in in, in verse 22, to draw near means that you can approach God with confidence. Now, just think for a moment about, about what that really means. You and I, though we are not perfect, are given access to an otherwise unapproachable, perfect being. Without fear of rejection but with confidence. We are able to approach an otherwise unapproachable, perfect, infinitely good, human, uh, godly being in our humanity with confidence. Can you, can you say that you feel, man, I, I, I'm feeling access to God with confidence on a regular basis. Something we claim. It's something we know is is a truth. But do we do that? Are we those kinds of people? How does that, that, that fact of access to God with confidence, how does that not rank as the most important thing that's ever happened in all of human history? Hebrews is saying, rewrite the history books because we have access to God. Now, for the Jews and the Hebrew Christians in this book, for those hearing this, access to God is revolutionary. Listen to what one author says about this this access to God for the Jews. The concept of simply coming to God was revolutionary to Jews. Now, when Adam sinned, had not God put him out of the garden and placed the angels and the flaming sword to guard the entrance? And were not all men forbidden on pain of death to enter into his presence in the Holy of Holies? But now, the writer says that Jesus' blood has in effect quenched the fiery sword 
and torn the veil of the Holy of Holies in two. If you come through him, you not only can come into God's presence, period, but you can come with confidence. And that is a revolutionary idea. We can come with confidence, verses 19 to 20. We can come with confidence because the blood of Christ provides what the Hebrews author calls a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. And because, verse 21, Christ has acted as the high priest on our behalf. A quick uh, Bible nerd note here for you. That word new, in verse 20, is used only here in the entire New Testament. And the root word for that new is a word that means freshly slaughtered. That's why it says a new and living way is through his flesh. Jesus is the freshly slaughtered and yet living now way of access to God. It goes even further to say that we can have confidence to continue drawing near because the atonement of Christ, his high priestly work, means that we have been cleansed and purified. Turn to your neighbor and say, because of Christ, I have a true heart. Let's try that again. Because of Christ, I have a true heart. If you know Christ's purifying work in your heart, accomplished by him on the cross, then you have a true heart, a new heart. And you can say that with confidence. Hebrews says, we have a true heart in full assurance of faith. Because our hearts are insides. If you remember from last week, Jeremiah 31, our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Baptism is alluded to here as a symbol of the inner work of Christ. Baptism doesn't make that happen, but it pictures on the outside what happens on the inside. But I also know that for some of us, some of you, after you turned to your neighbor and you said, because of Christ, I have a true heart, some of you, right about now, are saying to yourself, I feel like I kind of lied. I just played Sunday morning, smiley-faced churchianity with my pew neighbor. Because I know full well that my heart isn't true to the Lord. If that's what's going on, then draw near. In fact, the word there is in the present tense. It's the present continuous. Keep drawing near. Keep drawing near with confidence. It's time to claim in your life the promise of Christ's offer of grace given to us. It's time to draw near, to hold fast, and to stir up. Because that day, as our passage says, the day of Christ's return is near. So Hebrews says, keep drawing near with confidence. Notice it's not saying just to draw near once. I don't know where we get the ridiculous idea that the Christian life is a once and done coming to God, but it's a keep drawing near. Now, the easy question of application for us in this passage is, is it's questions like this. To what, to whom, are you confidently drawing near? 
If you're taking notes, write this down. To what or to whom am I confidently drawing near? Is it God? Is it, is it Christ's atoning work behind the veil on your behalf? Is that to what you are drawing near? Or is it something else? Is it vapid, empty romance novels? Is it alcohol? Is it late night computer porn? Is it sports? Is it food? Is it to your own selfish purposes for your time? It can be anything. Let's be frank, folks. We draw confidently near to a whole host of things that cannot claim the power of Christ's blood offered on our behalf behind the veil. Are you in a relationship with someone or with something other than God in a way that could be called drawing near and that shows and demonstrates that your heart isn't true? How about this kind of application? How have we, as comfortable followers of churchianity, sometimes more than Christ, how have we become numb to the wonder and the awe of the simple truths of the gospel? Since when did full access to Almighty and perfectly holy God become rote and unimportant in our lives? The second exhortation here is to hold fast. It's to hold fast. Let us hold fast, verse 23. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hebrews is calling us to a faithful, unwavering embrace of our confession. Especially our confession of hope in Christ. That's, that's the second point here is that our confession is a, is a hope. A holding fast in hope. Now this isn't like confessing of sins. This isn't confessing in that kind of way. This is proclaiming, confessing, proclaiming and claiming and asserting the truth about where our hope lies. Our hope doesn't lie, as we've talked about the last number of weeks, our hope doesn't lie in our dead works or our systems of access to God or religiosity, but in hope that comes from Christ's work alone. This theme of hope is found throughout the whole book of Hebrews. Hebrews 3.6 calls us to hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. 3.14 speaks of this kind of hope when it says, "...for we have come to share in Christ." if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Recall a few weeks ago, back to chapter 6, these beautiful verses. By two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We have the work of Jesus Christ himself as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. That is a hope that enters into the inner place 
behind the curtain. This is hope that is rooted. Write this down in your notes if you're taking uh, notes. This is hope that is rooted in God's promises. Go back this week and read 6, 11 to 20 about the certainty of God's promises for us. These promises stem from God's very character and nature, which is trustworthy. Hope is rooted in the certainty of who God is. Now, this kind of holding fast to hope is something we all nod our heads in agreement about. But when we're frank, we don't really know intimately or practically nearly as well as we would claim. Many of us nod our heads for an hour on Sunday morning, and then we walk out our doors, and our speech very clearly demonstrates something other than the claim of hope in Christ. Ask yourself this. Would you say that your speech is founded in the certainty of who God is? Or is it rather for many of us Grounded in the certainty of what I know, about what I've learned in my life, and how I am going to protect me. Just think about how we talk about the circumstances of our lives. When you're talking with a friend about what's going on in your life, is your conversation marked by holding fast to hope? Or is it peppered with sarcastic negativity and criticism that demonstrates the true condition of our hearts? I've got this disease as badly as any one of us. I am chief of sinners in the negativity and sarcasm department. May the Holy Spirit cure us of sarcastic despair and discouragement which comes from the evil one and is not rooted in the hope we know we have in the one who has gone before us. Think about it. Does anybody here need more discouragement in their lives? Any takers on that one? Does anybody here feel like, you know, I could really just use a bit more criticism in my life? Friends, discouragement and sarcasm are easy. We don't need any special training. We pick it up pretty easily. Being a source of encouragement may not yet be easy for many of us, but let's think about this for just a moment. Let's consider together for a moment this next admonition, verse 25 to stir up. Verse 25 says that contrary to discouragement, we should consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Hebrews is saying, let us think mutually. Let's get our, let's get our heads together about this. What is to be considered here, what is to be thought about are ways to, to stir up one another. That word there, uh, paroxysmos, uh, is here translated stir up. It means to provoke, to irritate, to agitate. It could also be translated as pester. So you may be thinking, is encouragement good or is it bad? 
Provocation, of course, can have a negative sense. I've listed some of those places there where in Scripture to provoke has a negative kind of sense. But here it has a positive sense. It has a positive sense in the sense of disturbing the apathetic or fearful person into activity. This is what is intended here is to produce, to provoke love and good works. That expression there in 25 is, is uh, 24 and 5 is a strong one. But if you'll think back a few weeks, it's an important one for a community like the Hebrews that was struggling with being inattentive to God's voice, struggling with being neglectful of worship, of drifting in their faith. So let me just ask you a few questions. What would our relationships look like if they were marked by pestering insistence on positivity? How incredibly fruitful would our churches and our lives be if they were marked by provocative use of encouragement? Do you sit around with friends from church and do you think with one another, you know, how can we be a positive encouragement to the body? Is that, is that what marks your discussion with friends? Sadly, much to the contrary, we Christians are often known as curmudgeonly critics who say things that are shaming, condemning, critical, and hurtful. How tragically true it is that we churchgoers are some of the most difficult, critical, and downright mean people on the planet. Almost to every one of us, we have been hurt and discouraged by fellow believers. It's time for the body of Christ to do a little repenting. What if we put our heads together and we thought together, how can we help one another grow? Is that foremost in your minds when you come to be a part of the body? Asking, how can we help one another, is not just a, a, a platitudinal pretense that demands that we simply use nice words. This is an encouragement that insists that we use godly speech to remind one another of the hope we have in Christ. This is truth-based reminders to one another. Truth-based reminders that our lives and our churches and our worship and our relationships with one another are headed somewhere. And that they are infinitely more incredible and more sacred than we will yet know. And here in Hebrews, this isn't just a, an if-you-get-around-to-it suggestion to encourage. This isn't just an off-the-cuff, it-might-be-a-good-idea, while you're holding fast to your confession, to toss in a little encouragement. Hebrews is, is saying here, he is coming. 
The day is drawing near. And in order to make it, you're going to need some help. Encouragement is part and parcel of meaningful Christian living, and it requires your presence and your participation. Which is why when you're not here, we suffer. Which is why when our friends who don't regularly make it to work it, who neglect to meet together, who don't regularly make it to worship, when they're not here, we can't be who He's called us to be. Because I need that encouragement, and you need the encouragement from me. And those people who aren't here won't get it. That's why verse 25 says, do not neglect meeting together in worship. It's a sacred thing we do. Most people, myself included, until I found this story, most people haven't heard of the pro football running back named Tony Richardson. But we could all be helped by approaching our role on this team of the kingdom of God like he did his football. You probably haven't heard of him because his role involves primarily helping the other running backs succeed. He blocks so that they can run. And over the span of 17 pro football seasons, teams have often paired Tony Richardson with some of the best running backs in pro football. In 2001, he was slated to be the main running back, but instead he went to his teammate, Priest Holmes, and he told him, It's time for me to step out of the way. You need to be getting the ball. And I'm going to do everything I can to help you. His teammate, Holmes, went on to lead the league in rushing. But Tony Richardson uh, never grew envious or resentful. As his running back, Holmes, would report, he used to call me up. Tony would call me up and say, hey, I just saw you on SportsCenter. He was happier for me, he said, than I was for myself. All of the running backs that Richardson blocked for contend that his influence went way beyond just blocking and opening up holes to run through. He would constantly talk to them throughout the game, advise them, push them, encourage them, inspire them. Here's what Tony Richardson says about his role. He says, I can't explain exactly why, but it means more to me to help someone else achieve glory. There's something, there's something about it that feels right to me. That something about it is the heart of a gospel that gives. That something about it is the heart of the gospel where our lives can be about blocking for others. You know, friends, friends, maybe our lives, maybe what we're made for and what we do here isn't about you and it isn't about me, but about making the glory of God and testifying to the hope we have in the person of Jesus Christ. We could stand to have a little bit of Tony Richardson in us when it comes to who we are as folks in the pew, as people called to make a name other than ours famous. Are we doing that with our lives? 
our lives put together in a way, lived intentionally, so that we can be about his higher purposes and glory. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be people who draw near to you. Who draw near with confidence that knows that your faithfulness went before us. We want to be people who hold fast. Whose whose speech declares the truth that you have gone before us. And we want to be people who stir up. Who encourage one another toward love and good works so that we as the body of Christ can be built up, so that we would continue to reflect who you are as the head of the body, so that we would point people to you by what we do, by what we say, by how we act. Lord, make of us a gracious and loving people who care about speaking in ways that are in accord with your character. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. If you're a baptized believer in Christ, we want to invite you in just a moment to come forward. If you're looking for a church home, if you're a baptized believer, we want to ask you to come and join with us to create that place where we draw near and hold fast and stir up toward love and good works. Or if you're someone who wants to to declare for the first time publicly your faith in Christ and be baptized into him, we would invite you as we stand to sing.